Welcome to Living Catholic, the weekly webcast from the Diocese of Birmingham, which we engage with Catholic leaders to explore how we can live out our life in Christ faithfully and with joy. I'm Daniel McCormick, Diocesan Director of Religious Education, filling in for Dr. Anders today. Today we're speaking with Father Rick Chenault, pastor of Our Lady of the Valley Parish in Fort Payne, Alabama, and Diocesan Vicar for Vocations, about how each person can contribute to building a culture of vocations attending to the special way in which God calls each one of us. Father Rick, welcome to Living Catholic. Thank you very much, Daniel. Glad to be yeah. here. We're so happy to have you. And Father Rick, um, as you know, Bishop Reka has called for a year of the parish in the Eucharist, and we're looking for ways to deepen our connection to both. Uh, you are also a vicar for vocations for the diocese. Uh, I'd assume that parish and Eucharist are two of the most important influences on priestly vocation. What have you seen and what can parishes do to nurture priestly vocations? Yeah, great question. Yeah, first of all, just thankful to the bishop for um, that emphasis on the parish. What a beautiful, um, especially, of course, it was providential in the light of COVID happening and just kind of really highlighting how important an actual uh, parish life is. But yeah, for vocations, I mean, in some ways, you know, it's not the vocation director that often is the very few guys will say, yeah, I became a priest because the vocation director, you know, convinced me. <laughs> I made a good sale <laughs> on me. In fact, I've never heard that before. Uh, really, I mean, we kind of take the, what's already the heavy lifting has been done at the parish level, you know, because um, what's going to be attractive to a young man about the priest is when he sees his own pastor. Um, I just this, the other, you know, just recently uh, heard a story about a man that, a young man that uh, was at going to daily mass and the uh, priest showed up late to, to daily mass that day. And uh, he was wondering why and whatnot. And anyway, the priest finally got there and he says, look, I'm sorry, I was late. You know, I had to go to the, uh, on an emergency call to the hospital. Someone was dying, you know, mm -hmm. and like the Lord spoke to him at that, that young man. And it's like, that was one of the things like, I want to do that. You know, I want to mm -hmm. be, so again, just seeing, um, the, the example wit witness priest. witness exactly I mean you know yeah. I think it was uh, St. Paul the sixth I believe so the church needs witnesses you know um, yeah not not teachers but witnesses right? exactly exactly so that that's a big part of it and you know obviously the their own priestly um, devotion to the Eucharist is so important it's mm -hmm. one of the occupational hazards of a priest is you're you're doing multiple masses um mm -hmm a day and especially on the weekends um, you might have uh, on a, you know if you're the pastor and you have three or four scheduled masses on the weekend plus you might have a another wedding or funeral or something so you're you mm -hmm. know, doing five masses or more and you know it's easy if you if you lose that kind of sense of the relationship with Christ you know as a priest you know and it can become very rote and easily mm -hmm. frustrated at the things that don't always go our way or so it's just a, a constant reminder for the priest to, to kind of return back to that, um, you know, just his own reason for his own ministry. And, and all that, I think, affects the people that are, are watching him and the young men, for example, that are able to serve. Or, But Jesus himself is the one that's calling these guys. So if we, if we just get them in the um, opportunity to be with them, uh, with the Lord in, in some way in the Eucharist, it's... That's the most profound thing. But I think he, he does the work. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. I mean, that's it's being vicar has definitely humbled me, you know, because mm -hmm. 
I realize that people I think might be a priest, you know, they don't end up going or staying or the people that I, I, there were several priests I didn't think should be priests at the time and <laughs> ended up being wonderful holy men or whatever, you know, maybe mm-hmm. not because of psychological reason, but just for whatever reason, I didn't think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so uh, it, the Lord works truly in mysterious ways, but the parish in the Eucharist, I mean, that is the heart of the priest because the call to encounter with Christ and the sense of service for others, because both sure. of those are important. In other words, the idea of missionary discipleship, Absolutely. right? Because discipleship is first that relationship with Christ, and then the idea that you're out on mission. You know, so that's right. What we've what we've received, we go and take to others, right? Exactly. So, um, just some actionable steps that we could take from that, Father. You're, you're giving some illustrations about the young man uh, who saw the witness of his priest going out to okay. to serve. Um, what would you say to brother priests, to, to lay people about how it is that they could in their own parishes be that kind of witness? Are there, there kind of steps that they could uh, practice to help people in that discernment process? I, I think first of all, is just being authentically joyful to mm-hmm. and, and welcoming people into that joy of the faith. I mean, we all as priests and everyone goes through difficult times, of course, but if I, if, Sometimes we might be maybe embarrassed or, or maybe not think that people want to, I don't know how exactly how to say, just to be vulnerable enough with people to just invite them into like, yeah, just the kind of joys of, uh, for example, I mean, just being able to serve with, with young men or whatever, and just, you know, smiling at them and it's just, you know, mm-hmm. how they're doing or thanking them, uh, things like that, or just encouraging them to, to continue to keep going. I mean, those types of things can be, can really plant some real seeds, I think, in, in people. Often um, an intentional invitation, like when it comes across as uh, inauthentic, like, hey, we need priests, you're, you're breathing and you're inside the church and uh, <laughs> have you thought about the priesthood? I personally, I, my, I'm not much of a salesman, that's not my personality, but I also think like an intentional invitation to consider the priesthood should be done in a more... Um, thought out. And uh, if you have the time, if you're the pastor, if you're passing through priest or whatever, and you only have one chance, go for it, you know, but you're, you're kind of presuming a relationship there, right? Exactly. You know, it's going to come, you know, like pray, discern, think, Lord, do you think this man's being called to be a priest? How can I maybe invite him into a deeper service in the church first, you know, and um, how can I have a, you know, just getting to know him, you know, uh, know, talking to him, maybe having, you know, a meal with him or a few other guys or whatever, depending on the ages and so forth. But, uh, yeah. uh, you know, things like that. But you're absolutely right. The relationship from that will be a, uh, an opportunity to uh, you know, experience a, a more authentic invitation. Yeah. Um, and, and then that'll really mean something. You know? And in a way that kind of mirrors so much of discipleship in general, right? Exactly. Um, so, Father Rick, I understand that your parish has recently gone through a process of discernment and planning to understand and meet the needs of your community. Could you tell us something about that process and some of the beginnings of the fruit of that discernment? Sure. Well, it's still in process for sure. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, we, um, I've really more done it mostly with the staff so far. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm hoping to this summer um, to kind of to branch it out to more people. Basically, the, the main people I've been in touch with are just kind of a more small group of leaders there's a, a group of men I've kind of invited into a, kind of a monthly meeting to just try to 
get to know each other a little better. And I'm, you know, kind of trying to listen to, you know, more in an organic way mm-hmm. to, to the needs of the different uh, kind of types of people at the parish and whatnot. But uh, as far as the, the staff and stuff, um, trying to understand, you know, uh, what are our motivations? Uh, we did that uh, M code, the motivational code, to try to understand each other better, uh, mm-hmm. what motivates us to better serve. Um, you know, focusing on, um, uh, yeah, just trying to listen a lot of it. It's just been, you know, I, I had the opportunity to do like house blessings and other things like that, and just mm-hmm. the regular kind of encounters with people. So trying to understand. So again, it's in relationship with the, with the folks, with your parish staff, with uh, your parishioners, hearing what they have to say, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm trying to, um, obviously some of the things that have, that I've been working on is uh, we were talking about before the show is uh, you know, like amazing parish. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the idea behind that is trying to help pastors to be better leaders, you know, and mm-hmm. also to be connected to other pastors. So to be better supported leaders too. Yeah. Yeah. They help empower the people. It's absolutely not um, just, and we know all of us, I think know now the church is too big. Priests are too few. And that model is not, a really a biblical one anyway for for the for the priest to be all things to all people but rather to be uh, a collaborative uh, servant and you know he has a role but so does uh, the lay people so does the staff and other things sure. so trying to better empower them to to be those those leaders as well to, to build up the body of christ right um, so from that experience uh, what have you discerned as some of your main pastoral priorities and how is the parish programming shaped by your priorities? Yeah, well, I, one of the things as vicar for vocations that I was very influenced by um, was um, was the idea of the p- four pillars of formation. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have um, in seminary when um, they may have changed it a little bit under Pope Francis, but basically under John Paul II, there was the, the four kind of foundational pillars. Like there was intellectual, but really spiritual, of course, the first makes sense, um, mm-hmm. Christ. The intellectual, the pastoral element of mm-hmm. service, and uh, the human formation, which have mm-hmm. authentic friendships, relationships, and things like that um, as well. So I, uh, in my previous ministries, have also tried to kind of incorporate that idea. And I think it, it applies to the parish as well that, you know, of course, in a spiritual, obviously trying to, how can we, how can we best foster this encounter with Christ? Mm-hmm. Uh, intellectually, how can we form people in the faith? Um, mm-hmm. You know, pastorally, how can we encourage them to be servants? In different and, ways? and all of that kind of presumes knowing one another and building up those relationships, that human side, right? Exactly. Built on, you know, why do people leave the church? Mostly because they feel they don't have a connection to people um, mm-hmm. or the intellectual reasons and, and others. But a, a big part of it is that do they experience the goodness of the church or not? Yeah. And to the extent and, and the same with how do how do we have so much success when we are um, inviting people in? It's because of those relationships. You know? that's, that's right. Well, and, and we're in a time when many people have been distanced from the regular practice of their faith, at least uh, attending Sunday mass and, and, and receiving sacraments in their usual way. And uh, this is, is something I'm sure that brings a lot of sadness, but it's also opening a door of opportunity for that kind of uh, rekindling of some relationships, mm-hmm. outreach, we have this ministry that was started um, before I got here, but has 
kind of uh, had an opportunity now to kind of get re reinvigorated. It's called mm -hmm. the San Rafael Ministry, and it's mm -hmm. basically visiting the homebound, um, praying with them, seeing, you're trying to keep them connected, also to help me to know who I need to go visit. Um, so that's something I'm excited about. We're actually having a meeting um, next Wednesday to try to, with our leaders in that ministry, to try to get this thing going um, a little more strongly. That's beautiful. And and St. Raphael is a, a, a patron of, of uh, the sick, and he's also a, a great example of accompaniment, right? Yeah. Walk alongside. Yeah. Uh, so the Vatican's recent instruction on renewing parish life emphasizes the role of lay people and lay leaders. What can pastors do to cultivate the spirituality of their staff and lay leaders to prepare them to be agents of renewal? We've, we've addressed some of this um, in, in some of our conversations so far, but if we were going to kind of condense it down to, um, again, something that can be actionable, something that uh, folks listening at home could take home, what yeah, would yeah. you recommend for that kind of formation and letting people loose? Well, the, the, the most concrete thing that I've done, um, I got from my experience with focus mm -hmm. and that is praying together with the staff, um, mm -hmm. and specifically doing a holy hour together. So, mm -hmm. uh, we do a holy hour every Thursday before our staff meeting together. And, um, I really felt that I always noticed when I was, uh, working in Alabama, that the days that we did the holy hour on Thursdays was always like a day of like really great ministry and different ways. Mm -hmm. so the Lord was, you know, it was clear. That was a great day. And so I, I started doing that um, pretty early on when I got here and just, it, it helped me a lot just to know I was praying with them and then trying to encourage that same, um, carry that over to where we, we, at the beginning of our staff meeting to talk about um, opening up for prayer intentions and things like that. And just, you know, as we're trying to build up relationships and building trust to be able to, of course, I, I have a small staff. I mean, I have a, you know, there's like five or five of us at the meeting or six. So it's not like, sure. you know, something that's overwhelming, but uh, being able to, um, you know, kind of share if, the, if there's a particular struggle or um, prayer intention that people have and just trying to realize the unique reality of this is a, a job and there's accountability and things like that, but it's also a mission and yeah. it's so easy to get discouraged or to, to because if you treat it just as a job, it's just like, um, it's not worth it. The, you know, it's just yeah. like, being, you know, but if you realize that you are on mission as the receptionist or as the office manager or as the, obviously DRE or whatever that, 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 you know, entrusting them with this sense of purpose, and that we're all in this together. I try to be with as appropriate as possible. I hope, you know, vulnerable with them as well about my struggles and, and appreciation for them as well. So. Yeah. Well, and it seems as if you're, you're really attending to ordering your relationships first with the Lord and then with one another so that you can be better prepared to do the work that God's given you to do in your parish community. That's certainly the goal. And then with COVID and everything, I, I've struggled myself with just feeling overwhelmed and how do I, serve the people. And, and, and so I took kind of what we were doing at, at uh, the morning holy hour. And I decided, you know what, I don't know what pastoral initiative I should do really, but I know we got to get the Lord more involved. So mm -hmm. um, I added another holy hour on Tuesday nights <clears throat> um, and have been really impressed, uh, just inviting the parish to come. And I, I specifically asked him, please come and pray for me for wisdom and pray for the parish. Mm. And uh and, you know, normally in the past, when I did holy hours, I was always hearing confessions during that time, you know, in different ministry settings. And we certainly do that a lot in other times. 
but for me, I've just pray with them for these two holy hours. You know, I just mm-hmm. I'm in church with them praying. And for me, that personally has given me a lot of strength because it's just a really beautiful thing to be praying with your people in those yeah. settings. Um, it's not something I've gotten to do a whole lot outside of this. Um, so I think that's beautiful that you ask for your people's prayers too. Um, I was struck, uh, I had the opportunity to attend this year's chrism mass. And you know, there's that part of the liturgy in which there's the prayers for the priests and their ministry. And I, I, I wanted to emphasize to all those that I serve that we need to pray individually for our pastors. And uh, I'm glad that you have that, that um, courage and vulnerability to ask that of your people. Yeah, well, it's, it's been good. Yeah, it's been, it's really a little blessing. So those things, you know, and, and again, inviting them into that, obviously. Um, so I guess those have been the kind of, uh, just looking at my notes, but those have been the main type of things um, as far as just concrete things. The first thing we've been able to do, I guess. Sure. And Father Rick, I believe you were installed as the pastor of Our Lady of the Valley in November of 2019. At that time, you had no idea, none of us did, what 2020 was going to be like. Uh, What was it like stepping into a new parish only to be slammed a few months later by the beginning of our pandemic season. Yeah. Yeah. It was really like, uh, I mean, really the highlight of that 2019 year, I started in July here and um, we had, we were getting prepared. I realized as I got here, Hey, this is going to be the 60th anniversary of the parish. Uh, It was Mm -hmm. actually first mass was done in a house church here in Fort Payne on November 1st. Um, You know, uh, what would have been 69 or 59, whatever year that I guess 59, maybe um, Mm -hmm. six years ago was. And um, and so I was like, wow, well, you know, so we kind of started gearing up for a celebration and Mm -hmm. uh, the parish makeup here is um, probably 70 to 80 percent Hispanic, Mm -hmm. um, probably closer to 80 percent, especially the people that are actually coming to church. um, Sure. Especially you have a, a small but strong Filipino community here as well. Mm-hmm. We have Vietnamese women. We have, um, of course, Guatemalans and Hispanics are in Mexicans largely few, um, like from Honduras and a few other places, but that's the main part. So it was, not, and of course, just the, the people, we had a few people that had been at the, matter of fact, that had been at that first mass 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Still, wow. There were still uh, a couple people there. Um, so we, we really had the whole spectrum of the people that really kind of built the church, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And now this new wave of immigrants and, uh, the, the church has changed so much. We'd only had a, a full-time resident pastor, just one pastor before me, you know, mm-hmm. and Mark Sproul. So this is just, I'm just the second full-time resident pastor of this place. So it's just coming into this was just really like kind of a mission. And so we're, we're excited about going forward. 2019 and then of course by february march 2000 matter of fact we were about to have our confirmation mm-hmm. literally the next week and then everything got shut down in march so of 2020 um it was tough just like everybody um figuring out first of all we didn't have any type of online presence of, of our masses so, you know, we're still doing things on the cheap i have to admit i'm doing like, <laughs> most of the time it's like my camera or someone else's phone camera phone that we're filming and facebook live and it, it's it's definitely been a, a poor man's version i i can't take any yeah real uh, great pleasure in sharing that but uh but you know i think people appreciate the effort and um thankfully a lot of people are coming back i'd say well, 
could I ask you this, Father Rick? Um, sure. I know that you're you're coming in as the second, you know, resident pastor of the community that's been around for 60 years. Uh, there's a lot uh, that you were looking forward to, you know, in the celebrations, but everything kind of got put on pause, got put on ice. Mm -hmm. So did that provide opportunity for some self-reflection as a community to see where there might be some opportunities to change old habits and to look for where the Holy Spirit might be guiding you right now? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it has definitely, I think for all of us, we know that, well, it's just been done this way it is no longer a very, you know, none of us are too used to saying that anymore at this point. <laughs> uh, so I think that has, it's been hard because people obviously miss, they want to be back to normal and, and but it also has given an opportunity, yeah, to be maybe a little more open to kind of a, a change or maybe, maybe to be a little more grateful for the things that like any of us, we might've taken for granted things as simple as, that there'll always be mass on Sunday. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, is something that all of us, of course, um, would expect. But, you know, in the history of the church, there's been places that that's not always been the case. And um, so now we're having to, you know, kind of deal with that. Thanks be to God, we've opened up a lot quicker than some places. Um, that's, that's for sure a case. And then, yeah, how can we, um, now we're faced with, okay, how can we reintegrate people back in? How can we um, continue to, um, you know, strengthen our identity and, and go forward. Yeah. Have you, have you found anything forward. particularly useful in that regard uh, as you're looking forward to, to reintegrating those who have been distanced? Um, still working on it, I would say. I would say just mm -hmm. uh, right now, I mean, the, some of the just little things like, you know, flock note or trying to trying to give people better communication virtually um the things that we've been trying to do uh, through facebook and stuff um we've we've all uh, adopted a lot more communication tools than we used previously yeah i think that's a big part and then i think like what we talked about earlier this summer of yale ministry and others to try to um you know kind of get a better list of those that maybe are homebound and other things like that we're also yeah. looking at you know how can we better um revitalize our our uh, religious education i mean we've already mm -hmm. had a family catechesis um, we had to really kind of pare down what we were actually going to provide as far as classrooms for this year mm -hmm. so we just basically focused on sacraments um, and then for anyone that wanted to continue we had offered family catechesis so basically mm -hmm. what we were trying to do is encourage the families to take ownership of the of the children you know and to invest in them that's great. See, a lot did not take part in that. Sure. Uh, but I think that is going to be part of the way going forward is how can, like, we can't do everything here at the church and we have to continue to. It's calling everybody in, right? Uh, raising people up. Yeah. Um, you, you were mentioning that you belong to a very diverse community. You've got folks from uh, English speaking uh, community that's been there. You've got Guatemalans, uh, Filipino, yeah. uh, Mexican, many different folks. And always makes me think of, uh, you know, James Joyce calling uh, the church, here comes everybody, right? Yeah. But it's a wonderful, beautiful part of being Catholic. And um, I know the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops calls a parish like that a shared parish. Yeah. What has been some of your experience of having a shared parish? What are some of the challenges and blessings of having that kind of diverse community? Right. And I think one of the catchphrases that maybe you'll take off here in the parish is, is the idea of juntos or together, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's the idea that um, we are in this together. And this is, you know, like 
of course, it's been challenging for the older, um, let's see, for lack of a better word, Anglo or white community or English speaking mm-hmm. community. At, you know, I don't know really of a great word that puts everybody in that category, but, sure. um, you know, obviously just like, you know, the, the old saying, you know, we kind of change is tough and, and the church has changed a lot since, you know, in the last 20 years in this area. Mm-hmm. And that can be challenging. And, and a lot of our older leaders that used to be really involved or maybe not that some of those groups are not as strong as they once were, you know, whatever. And so, whereas in place of that, there's been this kind of new life of, of the, especially the Hispanic immigrants, um, mm-hmm. that provided a lot of opportunities for sacraments and, and, and new evangelization and bring a new mm-hmm. zeal and piety to the church that uh, it's really refreshing. I mean, uh, do you, do you see there being like complementary gifts that the different communities bring? I do. I mean, there are absolutely. I think that that, that is the chance. Well, with anything, it's going to be, uh, you know, differences make us, you know, divide us, but also can complement each other. And mm-hmm. um, I think what's been real beautiful is to see those moments when people try to cross those divides, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's, uh, and we're seeing it more and more. Matter of fact, one of our, our seminarians uh, from mm-hmm. our parish, which, uh, you know, he decided to become a seminarian under the previous pastor. It was, you know, um, kind of in this experience of faith community, but, uh, he, Max, he, you know, his family, um, you know, very much integrated into kind of both communities. I mean, mm-hmm. Hispanic and, and, um, kind of English speaking communities. And we're seeing more and more of these bridge, um, families, uh, second, third generation of children that are culturally still appreciative of their Hispanic culture, but, you know, very much more involved in the. So you, you, you see those, those, those relational bridges getting built. They are getting built. Good, good fruits. Yeah. Sometimes not as, as easily as we'd like, you know, of course, but uh, yeah, but I I do see the good things. And um, so I've like, again, that's been an area where I've been like, what can I do practically? And I, I haven't, I don't have a great master plan, but one little step I've taken is I invited about 12 or 15 guys into um, a monthly men's meeting and just, just, and I've intentionally picked guys from different parts of the community and uh, mm-hmm. mostly were able to speak bilingually and just to, you know, kind of pray together and, and share and have a little breakfast together. And, and uh, so I'm hoping that something like that becomes a, a model for a greater movement right now. I'm kind of just praying to see where that leads. I don't really have a full vision for how that's going to I think happen. I think it's good though to to invest in those relationships and yeah. to be prayerful and to see how the Holy Spirit grows that. You know, because there's so many ways beyond our own plans that he can use things. Yeah. I do love uh, it's one of, we do it on Saturday morning and it's like uh we'll have breakfast and we share a little bit. We've been going through Pope uh Francis' letter on St. Joseph and uh, mm-hmm. but then um but I love we'll do about 30 minutes of adoration. We do a bilingual rosary, you know. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful for the guys to be praying together. Bilingual liturgies are tough. I mean, I don't think anyone prefers a bilingual liturgy, but sure, that's been a challenge, you know, trying to figure out the best way to, you know, try to accommodate and encourage people to still participate, even when it's not maybe exactly the way they would want it. So we've, we've struggled. Well, you know, uh, especially when we come to the celebration of the Mass, what we bring is the gift of, of our lives, right? And so if something is not exactly to our liking, whether it's the language or the liturgy or the music or whatever, 
Uh, it's, it's not really so much about everything that we get out of it, so much as what we give back from everything we've received and continue to receive, right? Um, and, and we can certainly receive something from a bilingual liturgy. If we don't know a little bit of Spanish or don't know a little bit of English, we'll probably pick a little bit up. You yeah, know, I, I didn't know how to say, in el nombre de Padre del Hijo del Espíritu Santo, you know, kiss your, the, kiss the cross <laughs> before I, I spent time with my Hispanic brothers and sisters, you know. Yeah, right. Well, um, well and, and preparing for our interview today, uh, we looked at your church bulletin and saw your parish is offering adoration of the Blessed Sacrament several times a week. We've talked about it on Thursdays and Tuesdays. What are some of the results and fruits you've seen of this devotion? And um, how is it impacting the larger parish life? This is just a good way to, to close today. Yeah. Uh, thinking about this year of the parish and Eucharist, how it is people spending time with Jesus is it's really making a difference. The two words that really came to mind um, were peace and hope. I really feel like in the midst of so much anxiety in the world, um, you turn on any type of media, uh, there's, there's, you know, you don't have to go beyond the second article to find some bad news somewhere. Mm -hmm. You look at the problems of the church, you look at everything and just, and when we even see like, Lord, how can, how can we do all this work? You know, it's just like, how can we feed these 5,000 people, you know, take forever to, to try to feed them, you know, just a little mm -hmm. What does Jesus say? You know, come to me, all you who labor and find life burdensome, I will give you rest. You know, and, and I think yeah. that I'm seeing in my own life and also I think in those that are that are participating, you know, it's helping to bring a, a peace amidst the storm in this world. Also, uh, that trust, that hope that yeah. the Lord is ultimately in control. And, uh, you know, the, as one of the great books on the spiritual life, the soul of the apostle, right? Everything is... Mm -hmm. The heart of it is abandonment to God, and yeah. um, and you know any parish initiative or anything. And you know if the Lord doesn't build the house, right? In vain does labor uh, builders labor, and so I think that is just a constant reminder to me. And I'm so inspired by. We have some other periods of adoration throughout the month, but you know it's always encouraging to me just to see people just you know just have that encounter with the Lord, you know, and. Um, I can't solve their problems for them. And sometimes it's just a mess, but, uh, uh, but the Lord is, is there, you know, and he's still calling yeah. us. I think that's, so for me personally, and I think as a parish, it's helping to bring about peace and hope. And that leads to a greater joyful service of others. Ultimately. Yeah. 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 From the very beginning, uh, Christ's disciples have been looking for that thing they want him to give, right. You know, whether it's the restoration of David's kingdom or kicking those Romans out. Yeah. And, uh, and he just continually offers himself. Yeah. And um, yeah, so in, the, in our own struggles, when, when we want to kick out our own Romans, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least we know that the Lord is there with us, right? And I think that's yeah, a beautiful witness from your parish community. So just to kind of sum up some of our conversation today, it sounds like it's, it's very foundational uh, in building a, a, a culture in a parish that fosters the unique vocation of every person. Uh, that we work on those relationships. First, a relationship of, of trust, of prayer, uh, of spending time with the Lord and, and knowing this is all his initiative and then really investing in relationships with one another. Not always just having some plan about how it's going to go, but just knowing that the Lord has brought us together and that uh, he's going to be guiding us forward. Not, not to say that uh, you're not doing great work with the, the pastoral priorities and initiatives, but I think that's wonderful too, that you're all also just investing in friendships. Yeah. Um, 
the Lord likes to call us to uh, out of our, our weaknesses sometimes, you know. I was uh, no, I would never be accused of being a native Spanish speaker. I'll tell you that. <laughs> It's a, it's a great well, Me neither. I, I, I nearly exhausted the extent of my own. <laughs> exactly. Well, Father Rick Chenault, thank you so much for joining us on Living Catholic today. And uh, in our next episode, uh, Dr. Anders will be back to speak with uh, Dr. Edward Sri about how we can better live out Christian friendship with our brothers and sisters in our parish communities. If you enjoy our show, please subscribe to us on YouTube using your favorite podcast app. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating or review. And finally, please recommend us to your family and friends. We'd love to continue speaking with you in this special year focused on encountering Christ in our parish and in the Eucharist.